folks. Welcome to the Classroom Critics Podcast, a podcast by teachers in an actual classroom, teachers who perhaps wished that they were filmmakers, but they majored in film. That's true for me. I was that close, that close. So uh, on this historic election day, we're not going to be political, but for the record, today is Voting Tuesday. We have no idea who our president's going to be tomorrow. And we're doing psycho. And we're doing psycho, yes. Very apropos. So um, I'm joined today by the other classroom critics, starting with Stephanie Booten. Hello, Stephanie. Hello. Walter Freeman. Hello. And Michael Moldy. Good morning. All right. So, and I am Bill Ivers. So today we're going to be discussing um, the Alfred Hitchcock classic and perhaps some other Hitchcock films. We're going to focus on Psycho. Um, it's directed by, of course, the uh, master of suspense, Alfred Hitchcock himself. Uh, screen, uh, screenplay by Joseph Stefano, uh, starring Anthony Perkins, Vera Miles, John Gavin, and of course, Janet Leigh. Music by Bernard Herrmann, which I hope to discuss, uh, in cinematography by John... Russell, so you know, where to begin with this movie? I mean, I, I Walter would like to begin. He's I would like intent. to begin to say, if you have not seen Psycho, turn this podcast off Ooh, now. Very good point. Watch it, and then listen, because there will be spoilers, and you can never see a movie again for the first time. <laughs> this public service announcement brought to you by Walter <laughs> Freeman. Yeah, it, this is definitely one of those films that uh, can be spoiled big time, and we're going to spoil the hell out of it. So I will give you a moment to shut it off. Thank you. All right, so uh, where to begin? Uh, a very, I think, outside-the-box choice for, for Alfred Hitchcock during this time. It's a, a latter-day film in terms of his career, 1960. So this is, um, uh, you know, on the tail end of his career. And I, I always felt this to be kind of a categorically a little bit different, but it still has a lot of the great Hitchcock Hitchcockian um, motifs in it. So... You like this movie? Let's start start off with this. I mean, it, it, I I personally think that this movie, I mean, it, it, you could, it could very well be the most well known Hitchcock film. I don't personally think it's his best, but I can see why it has the reputation it has. I I, I love it. I adore it. Um, what about you? I Michael? like it. You know, I, I, a lot of times I present it to kids, and I I think the, I kind of preface it by saying that keep in mind it's considered in the genre of horror, but by today's standards, very 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 tame. You know, so they're, I wouldn't say they're, they're not ever disappointed by it, but it's just kind of, you know, why is it rated R? You know, kind of always a question because, you know, you don't really see that much gore. You don't see, other than the suspense, there's no horrible language in there or anything like that. No. You know, but it's implicated. A lot of it's implicated. But in terms of the R rating, um, it's an early yeah. R rated film. I'm not exactly right, sure right when. The first ones, yeah. yeah, I would say this, one of the first. This film could be shown on TV in prime time completely uncut right, right now, no pun oh, yeah. intended. <laughs> yeah. I remember the first time I saw it, I actually was um, on vacation. I was with my brothers and uh, friends. We were over in um, Germany. And um, that was the first time I'd actually seen it. It just kind of came on German television. And, um, you know, it wasn't sub it was subtitled or whatever, but it was kind of cool to, you know, see it in a different context like that, too. So, yeah. you know, it's kind of bizarre. Mm -hmm. yeah. Saw it when I was 19, I think. Yeah. For the first time. Yeah. 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 What do you think, Walter? Do you like the movie? I love the film. I don't remember the first time I saw it, um, but I love the film, and it's one of those films, first of all, I, as you say, it may not be Hitchcock's best work, but I think it's one that holds up really well. You know, great horror and great great thrillers in the genre 
don't become dated because they're sort of timeless. I've seen films like The Birds where people are distracted and they say the special effects don't hold up or some of the acting is, is suspect. Yeah. But this, this I think, continues to work on all levels. And uh, I... Yeah, it's not overdone with the acting. It's not like a lot of that, you know, mid-50s type of acting where it's all kind of still stingy. You know, it's very mm-hmm. authentic. Yeah. And Vera Miles, you know, she, she was in The Searchers and was very melodramatic in that and, you know, it's definitely evolved, I think, as an actress in that. Right, yeah. right. And, you know, one thing about this movie, I think it's an, almost an exercise. It's almost a Hitchcockian exercise uh, where Hitchcock was clearly making a genre movie. It's almost like he's saying, okay, what if, I mean, up to this point, uh, horror movies were, you know, B-movies right. at best. Like Dracula, Frankenstein. Yeah. yeah, cheesy fare. Uh, but Hitchcock was almost uh, approaching this. What if I made a horror movie that's typically reserved for, you know, lesser directors, uh, lesser uh, cast? What if I made uh, a genre movie as an art movie with, with the standards that I, you know, What's like? The possibility of reason? I mean, it could happen, you know, something, you know, obviously it was based on true events, too. I mean, it wasn't based on, like, Ed Bean, yep. mm-hmm. so, you know. A very different um, Norman Bates, right. or very different from Norman Bates, which I guess we'll, we'll get to. Um, what do you think, Soji? Thumbs up, thumbs down. Oh, thumbs up, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably came to know this film more because it was referenced, um, you know, from such an early age that I knew what Psycho was pretty much about before actually sitting down to watch the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I always found it interesting the, the time I finally did realize that, hey, this is an unbelievable work, but yet I've been, you know, I've had knowledge of it for such time. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, pretty much it being it's the first slasher film and um, really captivating the audience that way. Mm-hmm. And I'm, like you just mentioned, I'm a high level. So. I, I think you're right, too. I think a lot of what this movie entails is you know it precedes it in reputation you know so a lot of people come to the movie even some of my students that come mm-hmm. to the movie knowing uh the name at least norman bates you know the the shower and definitely the soundtrack you know at least the the um the bernard herman uh high strings you know it's it's uh so it's, it has a reputation um it, it, what's funny though this film like many classics received mixed reviews when it first came out and uh, I have a quote here uh, from the New York Times. Uh, there is not an abundance of subtlety or the lately familiar Hitchcock bent towards significant and colorful scenery in this obvious low-budget job, which I think entirely misses the point. Hitchcock wasn't necessarily trying to be uh, subtle, and when we get to, I think, some of the Hitchcockian traits, I think he sort of turns a lot of that on his head, on its head when this, in, in this movie. Uh, he relies a lot on surprise. There is suspense, of course, but there's a lot of surprise in this film. And uh, it is—it was a low-budget movie, you know. The, yeah, no frills. Right. Definitely. In fact, he used his uh, his television the television crew for, from his uh, TV show, and uh, in order to get this to be greenlighted by the or greenlit by the studios, uh, he had to really chisel away at the budget, and he said, well, what if I use my TV crew, which at that time uh, was the minor leagues in terms of visual entertainment. So the, the cinematographers, all the technicians were, you know, on the cheap. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot to it that, that, that a critic would miss, because you go into a horror film and you're saying to yourself, I'm not really going to pay attention to 
certain elements of very good films, you know, camera angles and, and acting, because I just, you know, I'm going to be scared. And so it, it's easy to go over your head. I mean, I always contend this film holds up to multiple viewings. But one of my favorite pieces of this film is you know, good horror, and Hitchcock talked about this, is about manipulating your audience to, to think one thing and then surprise them. It's, it's, it's similar to humor, but with a different reaction. But this started before the film even hit theaters. Janet Lee is billed as the star of the film. The first, what, 20 minutes of the film develop her story, uh, stealing the money and on the lamb, so that when, you know, the big famous shower scene happens, you could not be less prepared for that surprise. You always kind of feel safe. Like, you know, you watch Harry Potter, and you know through nine movies, Harry's going to be in danger, but he's not going to die. Whereas here, you're watching, and you are, are lulled into the sense of, I'm watching Janet Lee's story, and then, bam! She did something bad. Yeah. And not even in the, the <laughs> traditional, like, mold of the story of when it occurs. You're, you're totally taken off guard. And I thought that was, you know, she was billed as the star, and press was not as obsessive with releasing details. Mm -hmm. So I don't think you could do a film like that again. No, in terms of breaks, it breaks the rules of, of fiction writing, doesn't it? I mean, you don't do that. Every fiction writing teacher on the planet would, would, would say, would, would say that's a faux pas. You don't build up a character and then suddenly take them out of the story. Yeah, exactly. You just, you just don't do that. But it's Hitchcock, uh, you know, he's doing what's not expected. I think it was, you know, definitely a word-of-mouth film, too, you know, because a lot of people saw it and then said, oh, you have to go see this. <clears throat> you know, it scared, you know, the lights out of me, et cetera, et cetera. And then, you know, people wanted to go to kind of be scared because it's that thrill of, like, being on a roller coaster. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, like, you want to be safely scared to death. You know, safely. That's, you know. But not too much. Right. <laughs> you know, and that's kind of like going to the movies. You're not going to be harmed, you mm -hmm. know, by the movie itself, you know, but, you know, just kind of brought to the brink of, you know, your emotions, et cetera. But, Definitely. You know, she was a huge star, too, at that time. You yeah. Know? And their marriage, you know, Tony Curtis and she, and, you know, so there was definitely that draw to it as well. Absolutely. And um, there was, uh, Hitchcock insisted that lobbies and theaters have basically uh, posters and cutouts of him. Uh, actually, there was a, one that I saw, I forget exactly how it was worded, but it was a, a cutout of Hitchcock placed in, lobbies basically telling patrons to do not say a word about this film you know mm -hmm. when you leave yeah because again the effect of what happens is is so crucial mm -hmm. um yeah and to think that that didn't really get out too much is amazing it's kind of like yeah. you remember the movie the crying game yes you know yeah I mean, it's kind <laughs> of like even on the cover of entertainment weekly they had the main character kind of making a sound yeah you know and, and the, for the most part i think people didn't really talk about you know, that shocking scene or whatever, you know. In every M. Night Shyamalan movie right. ever made. Yeah. You know. Here's the twist. Right. Well, um, I don't care how many times, you know, again, great horror touches on something primal or, or basic fears. And there's movies that jump scare you and, and what have you. I don't care how many times I see this movie. I My next shower mm -hmm. is fraught. <laughs> with Carol, uh, you know, I either keep the shower curtain or buy a clear shower curtain or or what have you. It's just it's it's kind of like going swimming after watching Jaws, because even if you're in fresh water, you're like, <laughs> I wouldn't even go in a pool after yeah, watching Jaws. I was, scared Jaws. Of my I was <laughs> only like nine when that movie came out, and I was scared of going in a pool. You know, it's a bug crowd. I'm like, you know, I'm definitely an idiot. 
What really makes me jump in the shower scene is when she she turns the water on while she's actually in the shower. Like, who does that? Just she she, she gets in, and she's standing, and then turns it on. And every time she does it, I'm like, Whoo. that must yeah. be cold. <laughs> yeah. But uh, well, there's plenty of hot water. You're nobody stayed in the hotel for a while. So. That's a good point. Well, I'm surprised the water's not brown. Right. Yeah. 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 What? No, I was going to make a joke about it. The blood and drain later, but uh, yeah, it, it, it's good. I'll let no. you. What, what is it? The, it died in my it, brain. It, didn't, <laughs> it, didn't it was the brown water. Yeah. <laughs> it'll, it'll, yeah. it'll come back. Um, Anthony Perkins too. I think played it really well because he was, you know, again like a emerging star. Fear Strikes Out. I think was the big movie that he had done in like '57, where he was the star of it. And before that, he had done Friendly Persuasion. Mm-hmm. So you know, he's kind of like on the verge. You know, and I mean, it kind of launched his career but also kind of killed it to some degree too because he was kind of pigeonholed in that yeah. role yeah but he played that creep so well and you know it's kind of hard to disassociate mm. him from being that creepy you yeah. know and every yeah. movie played after that you know it's kind of hard to shake it's that. Norman Bates yeah <laughs> that creepy guy he was mommy issues yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly yeah. creepy but somehow a little sympathetic as well yeah. and uh you know he, he holds his I mean you know the, the psycho sequel is certainly nothing to match up but there was at least one that, yeah. that, that actually were pretty decent films as well. Psycho 2 is, yeah, decent, yeah. Was there a 20-year difference? I think yeah. it came out in 83, so it was like 23 years wow. later, and so he had been in prison for that amount of time and been with, you know, parole, which is conceivable, you know, and so, and they had a decent cast. I mean, Diana Scarroyd played the, that person this time around, and I think there was, like, I think Vera Miles was in it again, too, because, like, she was protesting against his release in prison, okay. uh, release from prison. Mm-hmm. My, my favorite piece of trivia from, from that, uh, well, there's a lot of trivia from, from Psycho, is uh, the film debut of Ted Knight. Yeah. Um, and in the, the end, he's one of the two policemen guarding the door when, uh, when they go in. That's uh, a scene I find the most inauthentic, is the last few minutes of it. You know, and like uh, all the psychiatry of it, trying to psychoanalyze yeah. who he is, and, you know, yeah. not exactly, you know, that, that guy. Yeah, let me know. explain everything right, right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't necessarily hold up yeah but getting back to Anthony Perkins uh, I, I think it's brilliant casting because uh, typically you know you'd see a character like that just be stereotypically well psycho evil um, which he is uh, but he's not threatening overtly mm-hmm. he's, he's like the boy next door right and he even refers to himself as a, as a boy you know when he says a, a boy's best, best friend, friend is his mother you know, and it, it doesn't doesn't make your skin crawl yeah. uh, during that scene. But he says it so quickly too, and just kind of rolls on to the next line. Yeah, he doesn't let it hang there. You know, he's 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 a creep on every level, mm-hmm. but it's just it's not obvious, and you can tell that she's irked. At, you know, from the moment he's there. You know, yeah. he's, it doesn't take long for her to just sort of understand he's that she's in the presence of a well, sitting there with all the stuffed birds too. <laughs> Yeah, it's more than more more than a hobby, right? Yeah. Which always freaks me out when the big reveal at the end was his mother being stuffed, mm-hmm. and I just think that is that is one of those things that you don't have to have explained to you. It just keeps popping into your head. <laughs> and you're yeah. like, oh my goodness. It, uh, you know, I don't know. It's obviously from seeing it so many times. Um, it, it just becomes obviously it's it's well, it's obvious the, the the ending. But whenever my kids see it, <clears throat> you know, they they all seem to be very shocked at the ending, you know, and it just, I forget how well it's concealed. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I mean, I don't, I never have any, any of the students blurred out, you know, oh, you know, 
She and the he and the mother are, are one. I never I never get that. Well, you, you take M Night Shyamalan's film, um, The Sixth Sense, and that's one of those ones where yeah, you can watch it again and see how he does it, but he tacks an epilogue on where he explains it all. He goes back in a montage and shows you the clues as to the big reveal. Whereas there's none of that in Psycho. So you watch it again with the knowledge of how it ends and, and you see those scenes and, and how subtle it was, you know, and then you also see all the all the, the conversation between him and Janet Lee's character and all the all the double entendres and, and, and hints and there's just a great pleasure in viewing Psycho more than once, but it never captures that first mm-hmm. thrill. Well, he does the voice to him really well, too, the mother voice. Yeah. You know, I don't know if Anthony Hopkins or Curtin himself did that, but, you know, that voice separate from his own yeah. as well. It just, you know, yeah. A modern filmmaker would just put in too much. It wouldn't, and again, they, you said mm-hmm. it, it was criticized for lack of subtlety, but mm-hmm. uh, but it really is very subtle. Yeah. Nowadays, it would be jokes like, hey, mom, one dinner and a thing, some stuff. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, they had done, a, I think it was Three Halloween H2O. Stuff. Jamie, her daughter Jamie Lee Curtis starred in that, and Janet Lee played a part in that, where she, you know, puts on um, a costume that looks very much like um, the one that she wore in the movie, and then drives off in that same car. Oh, nice! You know, and kind of like yeah. the, you know, tipping its hat back to it, but it was just a little silly, but you know, yeah. but it was one of her last movies too. Sure, sure. And you mentioned the scene. Um with all the stuffed birds, taxidermy, uh, just for me, a, a really effective shot. Uh, you know, Hitchcock was never someone who, um, I thought his, his camera work is, is beautiful. It's, it's, but it's, I don't view his camera work as something that is, um, overly elaborate. Um, so, but there are clever shots in this film. Uh, for example, the, when he's talking, when they're having that, I think it's uh, dinner. Yeah, he, he, sandwiches. sandwiches. He brings in the sandwiches, and he's sitting there. You know, and they're, they're conversing. You know, just basically cutting from one camera to the next. You know, straight on medium shots. And then once the conversation starts to get starts to get a little bit strange and weird, uh, a camera when it's on him uh, tilts a little bit. It, it's it, it's a it's a somewhat uh, of a low angle shot. Not a not an Orson Welles low angle shot, but a somewhat of a low angle shot. And you see right above him, um, I think it might be an owl, I forget, but it's definitely a predatory bird with his wings spread, it, you know, and it's, it's just indicative of right, what's to come, What's to come, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. it's just that one little, I mean, that's an extremely subtle, mm-hmm. it, there's something about the canted angle that just, when it's done, not like in the old Batman shows, when mm-hmm. the villain show and it's just like completely yeah. crooked, but yeah. a, a slightly canted angle just really just... Off, makes it off-putting just a little bit, and that's mm-hmm. that's uh, what he does in that scene. Well, and I think he's really good at portraying claustrophobia too, because you feel claustrophobic in that mm-hmm. that scene. You know, like in Dial M for Murder as well. You know, there's that tiny apartment, even though they're rich, they're in this tiny little apartment. But you mm-hmm. know, you kind of feel how close everybody is, and in that scene in particular, mm-hmm. it's almost like she can't escape because she's already on. You know, like there's no escape for her at that yeah. point. A major. There's no exit for her. Yeah, yeah. a major theme for him, right? Or in a rear window when um, Jimmy Stewart's character is, you know, at the end he's, well, through an entire movie, he's confined to a wheelchair, the legs and cat in a cast. And, uh, you know, the, the bad guy comes up the stairs and he's, in, he's suddenly in the apartment along with him. He, there's nothing he can do. He's just sitting there, you know, uh, completely uh, a lame duck. That's, that's definitely. And it goes back to uh, a Hitchcock story that he always told about 
one of the motivators in his art is this um, early story of him being uh, sent to jail, basically, or put in jail by his dad for shop. I think it was shoplifting. Uh, he just innocently enough shoplifted something, and his dad just took him to the local, some local jail, and just teach him a lesson, put him in in a jail cell for an hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so th- there's the theme of entrapment. There's also the theme of uh, being falsely accused of something that's in so many different Hitchcock films. You would yeah. like to watch every Hitchcock film with Sigmund Freud. Yeah. And just say, mm-hmm. what was Marnie about? <laughs> what do you Marnie. think was about kleptomania as well? Yeah, that, that's, that's very true. Yeah, yeah. that's right. No, I like, I like the ahead. suggestion too, you know, um, if you're a taxidermist, you, you stuff animals because people bring them to you. They're hunters and such that want trophies. Norman's a taxidermist hobbyist, right? Which means that no one's bringing him these creatures. Yeah, he's he's out collecting them in some way, in some weird, bizarre way. That's yeah. that's true. Yeah, um, but it's more than a hobby, right? <laughs> it's a passion. It's a fashion, which is a little foreshadowing there. But you know, if you go again with adding to the creepiness, you know, Hitchcock's breaking ground with certain things you mentioned. First film to show a toilet flushing. You know, the controversy of her being in the shower. But from the early on, I mean, the film begins with an illicit affair. Mm-hmm. It goes to that extended scene in the office where the, the leering guy comes in, he's leering at the secretaries. Right. And then, then, yeah, then you have Norman you know, pulling that picture off and spying through the hole. Mm-hmm. And, and the whole thing is just designed that you know, on every level it hits something. Yeah, it's like a noirish quality to it. In yes. sense that, you know, it's kind of like this, you know, people are kind of creepy, yeah. you know, showing the, who they really are. And she did something so wrong, and you get right. you want her to get away with that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There are no virtuous people. Yeah. In the cast, you know, it's really... probably you know very bold for its time too. In that, you know, affair scene where she's just walking around with her bra, you know, and that's it. You know, yeah. It's been shocking in the nineteen sixty, you know, nineteen sixty itself to kind of yeah. see that. You know? Oh, big time! Turn, yeah. let's turn your mom's picture around. Right. You know. Right. <laughs> that's right too. And the open was, what's the opening shot? It, you know, it zooms in on a window. One of many was suggesting, you know, there's worlds within worlds. And then it takes you through the window where, you know, is now it's a little naughty. And, you know, again, it's just all those things where it just says, you know, we're going we're, we're gonna to cross boundaries with this film. And it does all the way throughout. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was, he was no Puritan, you know, Hitchcock. Right. He, he, he pushed that limit every step of the way. And uh, this can be applied to any any number of his films you know infidelity is a Boy. yeah voyeurism big time it's all all throughout i'd like to ask you guys a question your opinion because you had said you know that the ending scene with the psychiatrist in the interrogation room kind of kind of uh you didn't care for that scene what, what do you think about that final shot where, where is that triple montage where they're they're pulling the car out of the swamp the chain is is leading like superimposed over Norman and it's leading right to where his heart is mm-hmm. and then there's a, a skull slightly you know present over his face if you pause that at just the right time you get you all three it. of those things in one frame mm-hmm. uh, and, and yeah did, did you enjoy that or did you feel that was a little I like bad enough yeah definitely yeah. Just, you know yeah. like I said the psychiatric you know psychoanalytical aspect that was just a little bit of a lot of uh, but yeah you know we just watched it. We need yeah. to go through this again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is funny. It, Alfred Hitchcock does rely rely a lot on implication. It's strange that he had to. He felt the need to spoon feed that information yeah. to us at the end. Um, the way that the guy acted, because you know, it's like in, again a reference now with the murder. The character that she's having the affair with. You know, what's really convicted her? Just three things. 
he says it just like that, <laughs> you know, kind of sing song it. It's like, she's about to be hanged. Yeah. You know? He said, just three things. <laughs> so. I mean, you could have relayed a lot of that with just, I mean, I don't think the speech is necessary at all, but, um, but we got to think in terms of, I mean, maybe a lot of that psychological uh, insight, if you want to call it that, is sort of common knowledge to us now. But, right. you know, the study of psychology was still right. relatively, relatively new. you know, so maybe the whole concept of... You should have been doing this the whole time. Yeah. You know, right. This. Well, even, you know, when the guy, you know, somebody says, oh, he's a transvestite. I think, you know, that word probably hadn't appeared in film and, like, mainstream film prior to that. My kids giggle at that. Yeah. I'm going to hear that. You know, and I mean that had never been brought up. The whole notion of that. Yeah, you know. it's true. So it's, you can kind of understand why, uh, to a certain audience, some you know explanation is mm -hmm. going to be necessary. I guess you know it goes along with this whole. You said breaking the rules of screenplay <coughs> and writing, and you have exposition at the end of the film like, <laughs> instead of at the beginning. <laughs> right, right. Oh, it's forgivable, but you're right. It 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 does end kind of abruptly. Um, you know, it's funny because, you know, once that all that transpires, what you just explained, it just suddenly goes to, what, what is it, uh, just some graphic, I don't know if it says the end or something, yeah. and then, bam, done, because you know, all the credits are at the beginning. So, you know, a, a modern convention is like a, a movie kind of goes in for a slow landing, and then you know it's over. Right. Uh, when a lot, of, a lot of us, a lot of kids, when they see this, they're like, whoa, that was a quick you know, abrupt ending is almost like, oh, you know, out of time. Done. You know, they're going to sit through the credits and hope that there's a 30 second in credit sequence at the right. very, very end. Yeah. <laughs> there's a shot that always amuses me because of my reaction to it. But, you know, Norman is obviously a troubled but heinous character. And by the time we're realizing how, well, all, some of, not some, but not all the horrible things he does when he, when he puts the body in the trunk and he takes the car out to the swamp and he starts to sink it in the swamp and it starts to sink and you're, brain is processing that horrible image and then the car gets stuck and it looks like it's not going to sink or floats yeah. and, and you're almost like oh no norman's going to get caught and then you're like wait a minute why am i why yeah. am i rooting for him to succeed in sinking mm -hmm. this car mm -hmm. and it's, it's such a weird thing it puts you in yeah. i don't know it, it messes with you in ways you don't expect absolutely <coughs> and uh, it's the, the the film you know hitchcock's famous for uh if you if his screenplays don't have many words i mean uh, in terms of Dialogue. I mean, there, there's obviously dialogue, but he believed in relying on imagery. Most, whenever possible, don't rely on dialogue if you can convey the story through what he called pure pure film. Do so. He comes from the silent era, that, or he originated from the, in the silent era. So he was a big believer in the idea of visual montage, and so there are many strings. Uh, I, should, I should phrase it differently. Uh, there, there are segments of several minutes without dialogue where it's just well he, he had surrounded himself with terrific people too That's yes the thing, like the actors that he worked with you, you can do that yeah yeah you know like ingrid bergman Cary grant the go-to guy for so long grace kelly yep you know yep. like jimmy stewart mm -hmm. you know over the course of you know throughout his whole career just amazing cast of people and they wanted they they yeah. they, they dropped everything to work for him right. kind of thing yep. and uh, you know so there'll be the scene with the money you know when she's tempted and ultimately gives in to stealing the money. You know, there's several minutes there of her just sort of mulling around her apartment and, you know, putting the money over here, looking at the money, and the camera shows us the money. So, you know, Hitchcock is revealing information to us rather than keeping information, building, you know, building into that suspense um, arc. And so 
I don't know, and then you have the, the scene just described, you know, when he's trying to clear, you know, uh, clear the tracks out of the way and, and put the car in the, the swamp. It's, it's several minutes of no dialogue. So. What, is there a is there a scene or a shot in the film you like you don't like the exposition scene at the end with the psychiatrist? Is there a scene or a shot in the film you guys feel didn't age well? Doesn't I mean I have one in mind obviously, but is there one that you feel doesn't work or? You... I find the whole like sheriff scene as well. You know, come over for Sunday dinner. Discuss <laughs> it. You know, again, the authenticity of it because I think the acting is pretty modern and pretty good. And you know, for the, the most film, most of the film, and then to have that scene, you know. Yeah. Oh, Norman took a wife? You know, lady plays a sheriff's wife, whatever, and, you know, like yeah. a little yeah. silly. But. Yeah. I think uh, when the detective is killed on the, stairs. on the stairs. That's what I was thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it starts off brilliant when, I mean, that does startle people when you see Norman Bates or the mother come out of the room. That's overhead shot. That the, the overhead yeah, shot is great. Oh. And then he's stabbed, but when he's falling back on the stairs, um, I don't. I, I really don't know how that could have gotten by him as decent. <laughs> well, there's a shot in another film that's just like that shot to me because it does. It, it, it takes you out of it. I think in some way you can clearly see the director. It's like watching Quentin Tarantino. It's like, hey, look at me directing right? instead yeah. of watching the story. There's a film, a Spike Lee film called Inside Man about a bank heist. It's a, it's a decent film. Denzel Washington, yeah. all that sort of thing. But there's one shot where Denzel Washington's character is walking along. And they clearly filmed it. It's supposed to be, it's a low shot looking up at him from the waist up. But he's clearly riding on like a Segway or something and just <laughs> pretending to walk. And it has the same effect as Martin Balsam going down those stairs. And I watched that film and I go, that is a poor, poor choice. Yeah. Don't you think that maybe they intended that though? Or it, it could, Can you but reason why? Yeah. if you watch the film, it really stands out to me as a needlessly artificial shot. Yeah. Um, it's like he wanted. He wanted that angle, and he was going to get it yeah. regardless of the quality. So he wanted the camera to be on the guy. That's just it. I think like as he's, he's trying down. to like capture his face the whole time. Yeah. yeah. You know, and yeah. kind of the other stuff is kind of unimportant in that yeah. sense. But yeah, I mean, it doesn't look like an authentic fall. No. You know, uh, the idea I think is not good. as clumsy as it really would have been. Yeah. Exactly. You know. You know, know you can't see me wave my arms in right. podcast land, but that's what he was doing. You know, oh. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. You don't fall down the steps that way. You know, backwards. Right. <laughs> I could just picture if, you had, if there was like a side view of it, it would be like a cartoon, like Goofy yeah. falling down the stairs, you know. Like. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, we were talking about how students react to certain moments in the films, and um, that's one of them where they're just, they kind of give that like, are you kidding me? Yeah. You know, they're just like, that was... It's, that was so 1960s. Yeah. This know, is why I don't like old movies. Right, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. it gives that, that moment of, though, yeah, exactly. That, this is what you're watching. These are the films that you're scoffing at now because you've right. seen it 20 times. That was the first time. Exactly. Like, you, know? you know, I tell yeah. them, I remind them, I say, look, there's nothing wrong with viewing a film knowing that it's an older movie, but you have to be a little bit forgiving. Like when I view Renaissance art, I know I'm looking at a, it's a beautiful work of art, but there are motifs and conventions and expectations that they had back then that don't necessarily carry over now. Yeah. Oh, another picture right. of the Madonna and Child. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. Right. And of course you can you can hardly find any badly framed shots or poor poor shots in modern movies, you know. Right, right. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. It reminds me of what Peter Bogdanovich said about older films. He's you know, he he, he says that for some strange reason younger people nowadays will 
say I don't like old movies, um, but that's an unfair label because if you've never seen it, it's not an old movie to you. It's it's right. uh, it's new to you, and you never say, "Oh, that old Shakespeare play or that old symphony by <laughs> Beethoven." But with movies, we feel, "Oh, it's an old movie." Well, that's the thing about your film studies class is that these are probably not films these guys are going to choose on their right. own, and yet when they watch them, you, you see that pleasure and you see that they understand. Mm -hmm. You know why? Why are these great films? I mean, I remember when I taught the course on my first day, I said, "Why don't you guys tell me?" Some films that you think are great, and I actually had a kid say one of the greatest films I've seen is White Chicks. Yep. Oh my goodness. Oh, whenever I showed Tootsie, that's what comes up. Some like it hot, and I said, "Well, White Chicks wouldn't have been around were it not for Some Like It Hot." That's know? true. That's true. So, that's you know, and craps other movies as well, but I mean, yeah, for the most part. Yeah. Yeah, I, I find you know it's approached it the same way I approach teaching a literature class. You know, like these aren't books you're going to pick up and read on your own, mm -hmm. but they're classics, and there's you know. A general sense of like everybody should know lines from Casablanca or something like that, or you know, like that line, you know, a boy's best friend is, is his mother. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you should know that twenty other times. Yeah, where it comes from. right. Or the soundtrack. You yeah. know, I, I just love Bernard Herrmann's work. Uh, he worked with Hitchcock quite a bit throughout his career. Um, he did the Citizen Kane soundtrack, and it just it stands out for me. I think with a Bernard Herrmann soundtrack, it, you can listen to it not in the mm -hmm. context of the film and just put it on it's it's that creative um that good you, you jam out on the, the the shower scene music oh big time yeah when, I, when i'm driving down uh, hampton <laughs> beach with the top down you, you can sample that hampton beach yeah. hampton beach new hampshire folks <laughs> if only they knew yeah. we have a couple of dedicated listeners in england right that oh everywhere download our podcast asia so, uh, <laughs> We're big in Belgium, absolutely. Come visit Hampton Beach <laughs> Casino. Yes, get some, get some. You've never had fried dough until you had it at Hampton Beach. The jewel of New Hampshire's yeah. twelve miles of coastline. <laughs> Fun fact. Uh, and you know, the opening credits in Psycho, I think, are very like a lot of Hitchcock's films, just very memorable, very creative. He put a, he put some serious thought. He he spent money on opening credits mm -hmm. the graphics uh sometimes are very odd but always very striking and the bernard herman music is integral to that well, well not having lived during that generation you know but I, from what i understand that you know movie going was more of an event you know what i mean it wasn't like a, you know every weekend you know type of thing and now you go to the movies like it's like anything you see people in their pajamas or something like that mm -hmm. you know? but back then people used to get dressed up there'd be a balcony there'd be an intermission to be like, you know, the need to be entertained, you know, and you couldn't just have, you know, like simple opening credits or something like that. No, no. That, you know, especially something like North by Northwest and that, you know, opening credits of that were you know, phenomenal. Yep. You know, and you know, definitely felt like, you know, I, I paid, put my money down, this guy's going to, you know, impress me with his stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it really gets you in the mood. It gets you geared towards what he's about to do and if vertigo for me I, I get chills when i when i see the opening of, of vertigo with the with the the, the girl the lady mm -hmm. in, the, in the credits uh, just fantastic my, my favorites are and departing from hitchcock is always the old king panther movies like peter yeah. sellers there was like a little cartoon yeah. you know Cluzo chasing the panther <laughs> around but it, it primed you for the film mm -hmm. you know and and i think that's a lost art i mean there are some modern films that have some well, yeah, I remember, you know, Catch Me If You Can was kind I was of thinking that. Back, yeah, <laughs> to, you know, but he purposely threw that back to, like, North by Northwest and, you know, yep. that opening, you know, scene or, you know, of that. Where, you know, like the paper cutout uh, yeah. motif mm -hmm. kind of thing, yeah. yeah. 
Well, they still do it with the James Bond films. Though. They mm -hmm. still try to do this stylistic opening. And, you know, uh -huh. and you just, it kind of, it's, it's, it's part of the experience. Mm -hmm. It's a trope. I Especially with a Hitchcock film because... Um, he was a, he's a, a rare case, I think, especially in, in <clears throat> early cinema, American cinema, where people went to go see an Alfred Hitchcock film. They, they, he was a celebrity in his own right. I mean, most of the time people went to go see the stars, you know, mm -hmm. um, but people back then, um, went to go, if it was a Alfred Hitchcock movie. Yeah, a lot of people don't go see director's films anymore. No. Yeah. Spielberg, maybe. Yeah, right. But even him, no, not really. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, BFG came out the summer of Clock. Yeah. But Hitchcock is, uh, was, is uh, a director who you just knew as a personality, even before the TV show. Even when he's going to be at his worst, it's still going to be better than yeah. 100 times better than but mostly out there. He was going to give you something. And, uh, yeah. Because even his movies in the 60s after this, I think, were pretty good, too. You know, like, he had, like, Frenzy and Torn Curtain. And, well, yeah. Frenzy was 72, but, you know, even still, he's making decent films right up until the end. And yep. they fought Family plot, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I still think uh, he was relevant towards the end. But this is, yeah, this is, again, this is, we have this, then we have the Birds is the, the, birds mm -hmm. is the next. Yeah, and then Marnie. Marnie, yep. which Birds is a whole other discussion, but, um, you know, it's, it's uh, I guess you can view, view that almost as another horror film in and of itself, mm -hmm. which, you know, Hitchcock is not, he's not known as a, a horror director, you know, you know, Thrill, thriller, suspense, right. but horror is a very is a different thing. You know, it's a, it's, but a lot of the elements of suspense and thriller are definitely used in this film. Would you, would you consider this horror or thriller? Mm. I don't consider it horror really, but you know, I think yeah. it has a reputation of being horror more than anything. And you know, because obviously it's kind of like saying Silence of the Lambs is a horror movie, right? You know, it's not really nobody here with that. And, you know, and kind of based on the same person again. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's element. horror element, yeah. The psychological thriller element yeah. where you are left to figure out what is exactly going on. Yeah, exactly. And uh, a couple characters we haven't talked about uh, who I find find deeply disturbing. Uh, and it really gets you into that mindset that we're in a, a very disturbing space here. And that's uh, the car salesman towards mm -hmm. the beginning and the cop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which are, they're both There's very creepy, and, yeah, and they're very much in their own way kind of creepy, you know, you you feel almost, vi that, that car salesman is he's almost like uh, violating, uh, is it? Yeah, that's very true. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, some things don't change, but uh, back in the, back in the day, you know, he definitely fits that old school stereotype when he says, <laughs> when he says, uh, I don't want any trouble, you know, the first customer of the day is always trouble, and I'm going to give, I'm going to be so fair and square with you. It's such an uncomfortable scene just because, like, she's so obviously rushing through it and everything, and, you know, and then a cop right across the street watching her the whole time. Yep. You know? I always find it amazing that uh, a transaction, you know, like that took only five minutes back in the day. Now it takes five hours. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. It's kind of like, it's an appetizer for the, the main creep that you meet when, when Norman comes into the picture, but, you know, you still, you just get that subtle, like, skin-crawly undercurrent, and you're primed yeah. for yeah, if you had just straightforward normalcy for the first 15 minutes, uh, it would be, I don't know if you'd be, as you said, primed for, for Norman Bates. But the, the cop himself, you almost swear when you first see this that he's going to be a, like a main character throughout, that we're yeah. going to see him again. Mm -hmm. But 
No, he's just there to uh, irk you. <laughs> like the man with no eyes in uh, Cool Hand Luke. You know? mm-hmm. You're just constantly throughout the whole film, you're, you're constantly on edge by characters. Even you know, even the scene where she's, you know, she pulls up the intersection and the, the guy walks by and sees yeah. her, her boss. Walks yeah. by and sees her. It's just like there's, there's never a moment where you feel, oh, good, I can relax. Do you feel that her character is um, a good person who just does something really stupid, or is she kind of just, just sinister? I mean, or what are we what are we meant to think? Well, I think she doesn't she have a change of heart, and her intention is, you know, to kind of go back. You know, who knows? Had she lived, would she have gone? We don't know, obviously. But I think that it kind of speaks to the fact that she's not a career criminal. I mean, you know, she probably was around a lot of money, you know, for quite a while, so she probably could have done this beforehand if she really wanted to. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, subtly been taking a little bit off the skimming off the top a little bit and by little by little. It's tricky, too, because we have to care enough about her so when she dies, it matters. Right. But we can't, we're, we're not meant to like her too much, because if we did, we'd feel... Betrayed. Yeah. yeah, totally betrayed. Yeah. Well, well said, and... Ripped off. So, I mean, what a fine line he had to tow. Wasn't it still the uh, the um, sensor board was in play when he's making this? And so there has to be, you can't have an amoral character succeed. Right. She, she, she gets, not her just deserves, but she certainly gets desserts. Yeah. So to speak. Her comeuppance. Right. Yeah. Very puritanical. Uh, yeah, like if you do bad, you're going to get killed. Yeah. Yeah. Do, not, do not, do not, do <laughs> not embezzle and take a shower expecting. <laughs> <laughs> to end well. Hey, this wouldn't have happened at a Motel Six. I'll right. leave the light on. <laughs> Can we say that? Are we allowed to? Uh... We are not sponsored yet, but, not... Mo- but Motel Six, we're, we'll hear offers. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> so no one's mentioned the chocolate syrup. Yeah. Speaking of desserts, <laughs> the whole the whole shower sequence is is a masterclass in filmmaking, cutting, cutting and editing. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, there's some artifice. She. Uh, she get, jumps in the shower. She turns the water right on. The shot looking right into the shower head. Is, yes. Correct me if I'm wrong, but they built like a three foot shower head so the water would spray out on either side of the camera. So there's a lot of, a lot of planning put into that, mm-hmm. that, that shot. Yeah, the transition from the drain to the eye. You know, mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I could be very wrong here, but I remember reading that the shower scene has 72 different shots. I mean, that's that's a lot. Uh, right and it there. pulls back and out the bathroom door, and you can barely see when he actually cuts two different uh, pullback shots together. There's there's a little like like that movie Birdman with uh, Michael Keaton's the mm-hmm. the one continuous shot, but the, it was seamlessly edited, so you can't see where they. But there there is a very subtle shift when the camera pulls through the bathroom door and then starts panning around to the room. I think where you see the the money and the wrapped up. Uh-huh. Um, but it looks like a continuous shot if you're not like really looking for it. So it's kind of yeah, a lot of, a lot of, I think, technical advancements to the filming and editing were, were done. So. Yeah, and again, the TV crew, you know, it was a TV crew, and uh, they really pulled it off. Um, so Mary, Marion, changes her mind, as we said, Mike, to, to and, and decides to go back. Uh, what Made her change. What made her change her mind? Would you say? I mean, it was you know after the conversation with Norman Bates, right? I mean, ever wonder what made her to suddenly change change heart? Was it perhaps uh, 
after after talking to this guy, you know, this this guy's far gone. You know, maybe not to say she was fearing that she would suddenly become mm-hmm. him, yeah. but perhaps she was thinking, I'm, I'm about to make an irrevocable mistake. <laughs> yeah, you know, you figure she's been in a frenzy up until that point. That's you know probably the first time she's had two moments to herself to kind of calm down and rationally think about something as well. Yeah, despite the fact that she's talking to a psycho, you know, mm-hmm. or you know, sitting there. Surrounded by all those birds of prey, as we pointed out, yeah, it's just kind of like, what am I doing? You know, yeah, this isn't this who is I my am. life. <laughs> yeah, this isn't who I am. You know, and sure, I'm not a thief. I'm not a, you know, I may be having an affair, but I'm genuinely in love. You know, it's not like she was having, you know, a sordid affair. She genuinely was in love with this man. Yeah, you know, and that's the reason the impulse of you know running away and taking the money and having the life that she wanted. And Hitchcock loved the idea of, of putting <clears throat> characters who are, are typically considered normal, everyday people, uh, and having them do extraordinary, even terrible things, mm-hmm. uh, which is why he liked to cast Jimmy Stewart so much, because Jimmy Stewart was the everyman. Uh, yeah, he, yeah mm-hmm. he's someone that males could identify with, uh, and fem- he's, he was only the Tom Hanks of his, right. of his day. Good looking enough, but not... Right, so you put him in a wheelchair with a broken leg in an apartment, staring out the back window into people's apartments. Uh, you sort of forgive him a little bit, or you can go with that a little bit more. If you put someone else, like I don't know, um, some other. Well, I wouldn't. I don't think it would have worked with Cary Grant. Yeah, or if you or if you put like Lionel Barrymore, you know, in the you, it becomes a different movie because he right. becomes like a like a, like a monstrous. Mm-hmm. Right. But because Jimmy Stewart, so with um, with with Vivian Lee. It almost makes you say, "Well, am I, am I capable of that?" You know, if she if she if she did this, she had a normal job. She was just—I mean, obviously, she had this is the adultery factor, which. Janet Lee. I'm sorry, yeah, yeah. Vivian. <laughs> she is not in this movie. Um, yeah, Janet Lee. You know, she is not a again a sinister character. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like you can almost place yourself there and almost say, "Well, okay, what could that be me?" Right, and also kind of like a victim of sorts, a victim of circumstances. Yeah. And also a victim of, like, you know, that buffoon that comes in with all the money, you know, still kind of, like, you know, treating her kind of condescendingly, but also flirtatiously, and just kind of like, no, this guy doesn't deserve, you know, this kind of cash, so, you know, yeah. take it. Yeah, you know, yeah if it was, let's say, um, I mean, th- these are all obviously well thought out in the writing, but what if it was a... A young father with you know who's trying to right. buy his first house, yeah. putting down a mortgage payment, then you couldn't forgive her. Right. Right. I mean, these these are the compromises we make when we as a, yeah. as an audience. Yeah. 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 Um, I don't know. Well, let's let's kind of expand the conversation a little bit. Um, in terms of you know, we mentioned a couple of other Hitchcock films. Uh, what what are some other, perhaps notable works that. My favorite is to catch a thief, <clears throat> just because I think it's just so visually beautiful, you know, and like uh, portraying the south of France, you know, and just the camera shots that he has of there as well. And Grace Kelly, you know, the peak of her beauty, yeah. you know, just absolutely gorgeous in that movie. And, you know, likewise, Cary Grant, you know, and I just, again, you know, like a little inauthentic of the, you know, some of the acting a little bit, but, you know, for the most part, I think it's just an absolutely wonderful film. Yeah, it's a good one. You know, good sense of humor to it, you know, and likable characters. Yeah. You know, the mother character is really cool as well. Yeah. 
Hitchcock did always have, uh, he always fused uh, humor in, this, in his films, mm -hmm. no matter what it is. I'm trying to think of, uh, in, in Psycho, where's the comic relief? Just not to draw us back to it, but is there? I mean, well, it's got to be. Myron Balsam thought that was here. <laughs> <laughs> when the car didn't, didn't sink yeah. all the way. Yeah. <laughs> um, Ted Knight's in the end. Hitchcock make, makes an appearance, of course, in the mm -hmm. film, which he does in all, yep. almost all his, all his, all his yeah. movies at, at past a certain point. If you're at the first one, but you're talking really early. Um, he is standing outside the, the, the mortgage, mm -hmm. uh, mortgage office, right? Yep. He always liked to do it early because he didn't want people to sort of be looking like a Where's Waldo right. thing. You know, so got it right out of the way. I like, um, I mentioned it a couple times already, uh, Rear Window. It's it's a very, I don't know, just, it's very different for him. And I love the idea that it takes place in just a very confined it's space. It's It was yeah. one set. The claustrophobia again. Claustrophobia, yeah. yeah, absolutely. I love Jimmy Stewart, and I think there was great chemistry with him and Grace Kelly. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's... Uh, it's just very interesting to see the lives of these other characters just from a distance, and they all they all have separate stories that you're told uh, with just this limited viewing, and uh, it's it's. Uh, well, I think a lot of cool. one thing I was kind of love to share with the students is you know the fact that he was so pervy, you know, and not like you know hey here's all of his perverted parts, but you know like he has subtle things like in To Catch a Thief when you know they are presumably making love and the fireworks keep going. You know, <laughs> and then she at one time he's you know his claim is that he's a lumberman and you know or you know tree you know she's like oh I'm sure you tell all the girls that your trees are sequoias you know or something like that and then you know the scene at the end of um, North by Northwest where the train goes in the tunnel <laughs> yep. you know, like, I you never know, got that no yeah, <laughs> you know. okay so you know and I tell them that you know he couldn't really come out and say these things you know because of the time period etc so they just kind of you know threw these things in here that. Most people would go over their head unless you had your film studies teacher pointing yeah. out to you. Or <laughs> I find a lot, you know, a lot of these these stories about the uh, the censors. They must yeah. have been so oblivious. Oh yeah. I mean, they, well, even in modern times, because you know, like the South Park movie. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know the story about that. Yeah. They had the title, you know, that they changed sure. after they snipped it out. You know. I just picture the the censors back then just being just these. Old school, yeah, like Puritans who just, you know, <laughs> did right. not get any innuendo whatsoever. Books, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm from Maryland, the last state to get rid of their censor board. Yeah. Go Maryland. <laughs> My favorite is North by Northwest. Yeah. Um, and one, one element I see, too, is that you mentioned in Rear Window, we talked about the overhead shot in Psycho, and um, I think there's something there, but he, he always shows some horrible things happening from a distance so that you're witnessing it, but you can't reach out and stop it. So when she comes scuttling out of the bedroom, that high overhead shot is almost similar to you seeing the murder play out in your window, you know, from a distance and, and you're kind of helpless and it adds to the tension. But, um, I like, of course, I also like Carrie Grant. I thought great reaction, great reacting actor. Uh, you know, his character gets caught up in something from just a simple case of mistaken identity that goes wildly out of control. Um, the, the, Signature um, Hitchcock transition shots that just by their transition tell us what happened in between. Like he's helping her up off of Mount Rushmore, right. and then he's helping her into the, the birth of the train, calling her Mrs. Thornhill, mm -hmm. and so you know what, what's and all all that stuff. I just uh, the the 
the tension on the train between them is, is very clear, the, the flirting. Uh, just, uh, I like it. And, and, you know, of course, the, the crop dusting scene is, is yeah. again, one of those well-edited scenes with, with all the cuts and angles. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, the horrible teeth and there was a little boy putting his fingers in yeah. his ears. Yeah. Kind of shocked <laughs> some of the stats, you know, yeah, <laughs> love that. And I also like, you know, it's almost like he does it on purpose, like the inauthentic scenery. Because the scene where they kind of meet back after when once he finally figures out, you know, about her um, in the forest that they're supposed to be in and the trees, they're all, you know, meticulously, like, you know, placed, et cetera. Mm-hmm. You know, it's clearly not a forest. But, yeah. Or Mount Rushmore. Right. Or, or the house. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, and a lot of that in the birds, too, where mm-hmm. you can see, you know, there's a heavy use of matte painting. Uh, and just, uh, it just adds to the, I think, the otherworldliness of it. Yeah. It's almost like you're watching a stage production. Kind of have to suspend disbelief for that, you know, because you don't go to a you know theater thinking that you're going to see authentic trees and dirt, and, you know, <laughs> same type of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah he was criticized often. You know, I mean, Hitchcock is not universally praised as a filmmaker. Um, he's often criticized uh, as being too, um, I don't know, sterile. I guess was a direct. It not enough. Uh, Heart, maybe like he's a technician, mm-hmm. more or less. Uh, which you know, I can say, I mean, I don't necessarily agree with it fully, but uh, you know, just, I pulled up a quote here. Uh, Orson Welles once said of Alfred Hitchcock, I've never understood the cult of Hitchcock, particularly the late American movies, egotism and laziness, and they're all lit like television shows. I saw, one of the wor- I saw one of the worst movies I've ever seen the other night, Rear Window. <laughs> Complete insensitivity to what a story of voyeurism could be. I'll tell you what else is astonishing, to discover that Jimmy Stewart could be a bad actor. Even Grace Kelly is better than Jimmy, who's overacting. <laughs> Slightly harsh, I don't... Wow. I mean, he picked a movie I think is fantastic, but... <laughs> Claws are out a little bit there. Yeah, Orson, right. well, you know, later career, was right. not, not a stellar career either. I just love it when directors criticize each other, too, you know, because it's, you know... Like you gotta wonder, like there's a subtle form of jealousy going on there too. Harry, Harry's mentioned the fact that Henry Yaglom is a Swedish yes. director, always criticized Steven Spielberg. So yes. he couldn't do anything but kitty films. You know, and it's like I ask the kids, I'm like, do you know who Henry Yaglom is? And what's funny is uh, um, Igmar Bergman uh, has a, a fantastic quote about Wells and, mm-hmm. and Citizen Kane. And so yeah, they, there's right. there's just some. Jealousy, ethnic right. jealousy is probably. I mean, Orson Welles was making wine commercials right. when, when he stated this, yeah. made this statement. So, and Hitchcock was still <laughs> getting his films made. Twain said he would only read Edgar Allan Poe on salary. <laughs> wow. So you know, but the thought-provoking, and when you hear these things, you know, it's interesting. What's what's your choice? Uh, do you like Rear Window? That was going to be mine for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I think it holds up. I mean, I, I, as far as the students go, uh, Rear Window often gets uh, a real, you know, really good reaction. Um, and they're creeped out by it. It's a little bit more lighthearted than a lot of his other films are, but I think it definitely holds up. Um, so I think, you know, we're ready to bring this discussion in for a landing. There's a million things I'm sure we didn't uh, talk about. Anything? Nothing comes to mind. I mean, I, I thought you know we, we covered it pretty thoroughly. Again, I, I it, it's a film that holds up for me. First of all, you want to see it the first time and 
be shocked and surprised by it. But then you want to see it again and again to see what you missed. Yeah, all yeah. the clues, all the double entendres, all the in jokes, all the all the setups or, or the camera angles, and so it's it is a film that that holds up to repeat viewing, which you can't say for a lot of films sure. that, that turn on a on a shock or a twist. Yeah. It's entertaining, you know, and I think. I can tell you if there's a quote to back this up, but I, I do believe that Hitchcock did view himself as an entertainer first. He, he, unlike a lot of other directors, he didn't necessarily think he was creating uh, really high art. You know, he he was making thriller films. It's accessible art too. That's accessible, you know, like you pay whatever amount of money. It's very democratic in that sense. You don't yeah. have to, you know, be, you go to a museum to see it. You, know, you yeah. can go right down the road. Right. But it is high art, you know. Right. It really is. Yeah. It's kind of like uh, like John Ford when I, when I, when interviewers tried to talk to him about the art of, you know, of his, of his filmmaking and the mystique of the western and the mythos and all that. He'd say, "I don't know what you're talking about. I'm just making a making a western." Mm-hmm. <laughs> love, love it or hate it, art's going to impact. And even when you get a quotation from a director as talented as Orson Welles dismissing your work, you're yeah. on the radar of a giant. And, right. And that's in itself, I think, a form of He's success. He's never criticized any of my movies. <laughs> yeah so um, I want to thank everyone for coming along in this discussion today Psycho Alfred Hitchcock and this has been the Classroom Critics Podcast please check out our Facebook page and uh, go ahead and rate us on iTunes just search Classroom Critics let us know what you think and uh, we would uh, love you to join us on our next episode but for now take care folks